You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On Tuesday, March 20th, the Washington Post brought together pioneering researchers, business leaders, and elected officials for Transformers Artificial Intelligence. This live news event focused on advances in technology that are poised to reshape the way we live and work. In this segment, the Washington Post's Drew Harwell sat down with IBM's Vice President of AI and IBM Q, Dario Gill. They examined the ideas of responsibility and artificial intelligence, including efforts to mitigate bias as the technology evolves. Let's listen. I'm happy to introduce this time Dario Gill, Vice President of AI at IBM, a company everybody has heard of. Um, we're going to be discussing artificial intelligence and responsibility. And once again, I ask you if you use Twitter to tweet questions to us using the hashtag Transformers, um, not the movie. So, um, so let's get into it. So I feel like now would be a good time, now that we've figured out that AI can solve all these problems, to probably um, get a reality check on where we are in the status of the technology and what we're going to be looking at in a couple of years. Yeah, I think that's right because we, we tend to oscillate, right, with enormous level of enthusiasm and ambition and, and sometimes uh, we think ahead too much, right? So let's put it a little bit in context of where we are in AI. Thanks to actually uh, the fruit of many decades of progress, I would say that we're in a form where a narrow form of artificial intelligence has begun to work. And what that means is that for very specific tasks and objectives, like let's say classifying what may be in a picture, right? Or being able to do, you know, good, but narrow forms of speech recognition, right? We have gotten the technology to be good enough. So that's this narrow form of AI. Bookended to sort of like the more utopian or dystopian discussions that people have, that's what they refer to as artificial general intelligence. That's, by all accounts, many, many decades away. But that speaks about a form of intelligence that is more akin human intelligence, where you can solve problems across arbitrary tasks and domains, and you can keep learning. You have a high degree of autonomy in your actions. So that's the other bookend. And in between, we're entering a new phase that we refer to as broad AI, which is how do we go from these very narrow and segmented capabilities that we have today, that are powerful, but very narrow, to the ability to do and solve more tasks. Meaning, give me an example. If I learn to perform a task, is it easier for me to perform an adjacent task, something that is close by? Or do every time I have to learn a new task, do I have to start from scratch? Do I have to build a new AI system? I think being able to do this so that we can do broader and broader tasks, that we can partner better with people to complement their expertise, to make it more transparent, is this realm of broad AI that we're entering. Mm -hmm. And even with the narrow AI that we're into right now, there's a question of responsibility for who develops it um, and who should take responsibility for the ethics of it, the guidelines that uh, establish how it should be um, created. Who, who should have the responsibility for that? It, should it be the engineers? Should it be the regulators down the street? Should it be the consumer that you know sort of votes with the pocketbook? Where, where should that uh, debate be happening? Well, uh, I think it needs to happen this a multi-stakeholder process because at the root of AI is what is its purpose? What are you trying to solve? 
right? It could not be a discussion just about the raw technology. So if you're doing it in the context of AI for healthcare, you need to be able to operate within the constraints of the healthcare profession, which are there also for good reasons. And so there are many stakeholders that will be there. They will be stakeholders are the physicians, they will be regulators are part of it, and AI needs to fit into that context, and the responsibility have to come across all of those stakeholders. The creator of it has to take responsibility for what is the algorithm doing. What data, who trains these systems has a lot of implications for the outcome of the system. So I think that where we are entering a phase is that this sort of like narrow discussion about I have a neural network and you know, here I show you an example that it does a good job classifying you know, this particular task on healthcare or in this other area and it gets a lot of headlines, needs to move towards the responsible use of AI in professions and within specific industry context. So I think that we gotta go to the point where we're saying, don't talk to me only about the technology. Who are you as a company? What trust do you have, right? What responsibility are you taking into this process? And do you understand the context in which AI is going to be applied? And the principles have to be a set of principles that are based on one of it is purpose. What are you trying to do with it? At IBM, we take the point of view that AI has to be about augmenting human intelligence, not replacing human intelligence. So purpose is one. Second one has to do with trust. And we basically, our position is, okay, whose data is coming in to train it? We take also the position that the institutions are providing the data are the owners of that data, or in the case of it's of an individual, that it is their data, and therefore we don't wanna use it for other adjacent purposes, but only to what has been claimed for. And how do we provide accountability to the algorithms that have been developed to train it? And the third dimension is skills. How do we also invest in the technology so that it's complementary to the skills of the professionals or the individuals who will be using it? Right. Let's dig in on healthcare a little bit because I find that industry especially fascinating. It, it touches everybody's lives and yet, you know, we're still talking about moving from paper to digital records and there's all sorts of questions about uh, data privacy, really important, you know, HIPAA guidelines and even just uh, getting doctors to, to buy into that kind of system. Where do we sit with AI and healthcare? What are the opportunities and what are especially the kind of the perils for moving too quickly into that? It is extraordinarily early days. I think you alluded to the fact that prior technologies advances have also, you know, we've seen the implications on healthcare that they've been adopted, but we've also seen that sometimes the pace of adoption takes a long, long time. And, and that's the reality today. I think undoubtedly, you know, I'll speak more from our research side, which is my responsibility. We have a lot of evidence that AI will have a lot of profound implications in the practice of medicine. It will have implications in the areas of discovery for life sciences. If you just look at the sheer amount of genomic information that is available and how we will actually go and make sense and connect it to disease progression will be important. It will have important implications, we all know, in the areas, for example, like radiology and so on, in oncology, in value-based care. But to make progress, we gotta deliver evidence. We have to be able to put these systems and validate them scientifically and rigorously, and it is through the demonstration of the results and published results that we will see an increased adoption. 
And that is just like the practice of science in general, right? There's no shortcuts to that. You just have to do the heavy lifting and the work to prove that the technology is effective, that it solves problems, and that it provides a value added uh, to the institution, to the individual, to the physician. But adoption of it, it also has to do with this element of trust. If the physicians and the practitioners don't believe that this is in the best interest, let's say in this case of the patient, but also they have a consideration of their financial you know, and uh, professional interest, it is very hard to get it adopted. So those are all the barriers uh, that have to overcome, but there is no doubt that there's a big consensus in the community that it will have a very profound and positive impact if we do it well. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about that tension between the adoption and the marketing. The marketing for the AI is very high, almost uh, sometimes overlaps <laughs> what, what the actual product can do. And, um, you know, IBM with Watson, it, it, you know, it was sort of pitched as this kind of revolutionary cancer care solution. Um, but last year there was a, a partnership canceled with the MD Anderson Cancer Center. There's a big investment from AI, uh, IBM's point of $60 million. And there was a question of whether the technology was overpromised and that it underdelivered to to the doctors or the patients. Can you help me understand how we should be thinking about tension points like that when there is a question of how effective the the, the product is, and help us understand that you know IBM's thinking about how to move forward on that. Yeah. At any time one introduces a technology that's gonna have a very, very broad impact in the world, there is indeed always a tension between communicating sort of the broad impact that the technology will have in society and getting, getting everybody, all the stakeholders, to think about what does it mean, where is this gonna go? And, and I think we would not question the fact that AI, if you ask today, right, all the leading technology players, and not just technology players, companies, where would you rate different technologies in the level of sort of impact to the world. I bet most of us would rate AI at the number one position today. If you look at that today, and then you say, well, what is the impact that is gonna have across different professions, including healthcare? I think both the healthcare professionals, right, and the technology companies would say, also, it's gonna have an extraordinary impact. Then the question is, where are we in the progression, right, which uh, you asked for? And the honest answer is, we're in the early days. And in the early days, you require pioneers to experiment with things. And you try things out, and you demonstrate what works and what doesn't. And, and in the course of doing that is how you make progress. And there's no way to shortcut this, right? I mean, we were chatting before about um, you know, self-driving cars. Well, what is the impact that that is gonna have, right? Are there gonna be difficulties? Yes. But do we believe that over time those difficulties can be overcome? The answer is yes. So today, right, we have you know, a very thriving and very successful business applying AI to health, where there's tens of thousands of patients are you know, uh, being impacted and benefited by partnering artificial intelligence, in this case, or Watson Solutions and Health, with practitioners in doing this. So I don't think we can sort of like judge the level of progress by a specific project where there's a lot of convoluted facts that uh, take place there, but what is the actual progress that is being made in the field? And in this narrow form of AI that I was alluding to, undoubtedly, even with the current capabilities to be able to understand documents, limited, to be able to process images, to be able to segment and do classification, uh, let's say in the life sciences, there's enormous value to be created. And that is being recognized, and that is the reason why in healthcare, 
and we're not the only ones saying this, I mean, I think it was brought up here in the panel, when I think the community speaks about what is the likelihood of the biggest impact that we're likely to see in AI in industries, kind of everybody's saying healthcare. It's very, very important. It has a lot of implications. And you know, uh, the reality is we've been pioneers on this, and we have a very successful business in growing that. And, and just to riff, I, I appreciate your point on that. Do you feel like the companies do overpromise sometimes? I mean, do you feel like that is a, a problem for not just you all, but uh, a lot of companies? Sure, I would say in, the, in as a general statement, AI uh, right now is at an, an extraordinarily level of hype, right? And uh, again, over the long run, I do think that AI will have that transformative effect on society. But you know what's happened to, and, and I sort of uh, seen in the discussions here today, but broadly, is I like to say now that AI is a new IT, and what I mean by that is that all the projects that we used to you know, ascribe to information technology and analytics or automation, now they're being lumped into AI. So if you take a more like narrow definition of AI and you go and you say, well, within AI, we have a subfield called neural networks, and within that, you know, we have techniques like deep learning, and then you ask for all the categories where people are saying this is AI solving this and that, even if you take that narrow form and you say, well, are you using, are you employing in this solution, say neural networks as an example of deep learning, I bet you would filter the claims that are being made by 98%, right, of what people are claiming is AI will be much narrower. So what happens is that the word AI has become a substitution for a lot of other fields, right, that have been lumped in just because of its excitement. And as a result of that, you have this tension of when you're speaking as a scientific, you know, as a researcher, you say, well, what is the actual rate of progress of what AI is doing? But when we popularly, right, talk about AI, we are lumping all sorts of other things into it. So, so you have this difficult tension, right? Where on the one hand, in the public, it's experiencing, it seems like AI is everywhere. It seems AI is touching everything, and that leads to a lot of excitement. And then when you go into the details, says, what is the actual state of the art, right? In AI, you recognize the fact that over, even though amazing progress has been made, it is still narrow in its capability. And our mission is to advance that capability, to keep up with the desire to apply it. Mm -hmm. um, late last year, you made the joyful march to Capitol Hill to, to talk with uh, the Senate Committee on Commerce about AI regulation. You said regulatory issues should not stand in the way of AI. It's the most important technology industry in the world today. Um, we've seen the industry self-police over the last couple of years. Um, we've seen the issues that have come from that. Where do you feel like the barriers should be um, erected or, or the line should be drawn for um, creating a regulation that could, that could prevent some of these problems? Or do you feel like it should be uh, you know, a question for industry, a question for consumers? I think that uh, each company that is creating AI and putting AI services and capability out there uh, needs to be accountable and needs to be responsible. So the theme needs to be responsible AI, right? And and there are companies, and I don't want to lump everybody on the same basket, because I'm very proud of the company I work for, and or stands, and we've been doing information technology for over a century, and we have built that reputation based on trust, right? And doing the right thing, as far as you know, data is concerned, and the products that we put out, and standing behind them. So uh, I think if there are actors uh, who are not properly 
right, addressing bringing forth AI products or managing data with the same level of responsibility, um, I think that that is something that you know both the consumers and the users and the partners and regulators, uh, you know, will have they'll have to stand behind what they do. So I think that we have to continue to you know study the implications and when there's bad actors, there needs to be pressure to correct the bad actions. Uh, but we cannot lump that everybody's in the same basket and this is the Wild West and everybody's doing it irresponsibly because it's not the case. Right. Um, we are running out of time, but I want to close with um, an example f of a little bit of a tiff at an AI conference recently, and you can imagine how rowdy those get, um, where <laughs> there was talk of this uh, predictive policing algorithm that um, was designed to take in data and establish which members of the community were potential gang members based off crime and social networks and that sort of thing. and. Um, People began asking about kind of the unintended side effects, including potentially falsely labeling people as gangsters even when they weren't. Um, and one of the engineers on that said, um, those aren't my problems, I'm just an engineer. Um, help me understand where the responsibility should lie in those questions. Should the engineers be um, thinking about those even back uh, in the preparation of these algorithms, or should those be questions for, for someone else? No, of course they have to be thinking about them, right? I mean, to me, I find that, you know, comments like that kind of funny because it's, it's as if, like, you know, uh, some of these technical folks uh, have landed on Earth with no other connection of understanding, right, of, like, we live in a society and we have responsibility to others and there is feels like moral philosophy that has been with us for a long, long time. You know, we have to continue to demand that practitioners in the field be human beings and are educated and sophisticated in understanding that we live in a society with rules and we depend on each other. So, of course, that is like a totally irresponsible sort of like way of thinking, in my opinion. And in the course of creating technology, then you have to do it in the context which is gonna be applied. So if you're gonna apply AI in the criminal justice system, you have to involve all the other stakeholders who have thought about these issues. So this kind of like, in, in a way, you know, even though I'm a scientist and I have technologies and I like it, we cannot give undue power, right, or undue mythical capabilities to the scientists and the technologies. We are part of a much broader set of principles and an ecosystem, and we have to have teams that have all those dimensions. And technology is, is neither our savior nor our demise, right? It has to be in the context of what we as humans and in a democratic society with the rules that we impose on ourselves through government and so on, practice how we create technology and for what purpose. So I take the view that we have to have a very humanist perspective on how we develop technology and not glorify technology for its own sake. It's a purpose, it's a means to an achievement, to what we wanna do. So no, uh, no yahoos, right, you know, saying I'm gonna solve the you know, criminal problem because I have an algorithm, it's a very, sort of, uh, in a way, it's, in a, it's a form of illiteracy, but of a sort of broader, like humanist understanding of what we're here to do. Mm -hmm. All right, well, on that note, thank you so much for having us. I'm gonna turn it over to three other very smart people and uh, Jeremy Gilmore for The Post. So thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.